Well, Leah, thank goodness this is a podcast so our listeners cannot see just how much I have aged this week. <laughs> um, how how are you holding up? And most importantly, what did you stress eat on election night? Well, it's funny you should say that because I, like many Americans, had to quit wheat recently due to chronic migraines. Ooh. And I may or may not have eaten pizza on election night, which was <laughs> fairly illegal in my 10-day wheat fast. Uh, but honestly, it was fine. I didn't get a migraine, even with all this stress. So I feel like, whatever, eat wheat, live life. Sounds good. Totally. Eat wheat, live life. I think that is, that's a great motto, Leah. <laughs> Um, I found myself just like shoving my face with enchiladas and also <laughs> drinking whiskey. Um, that was <laughs> that, that was the solution. Yeah. Well, we're recording this now on Friday morning, which you may recall was the morning when Biden and Harris pulled in front in Georgia and Pennsylvania. It was a pretty amazing feeling when that happened. And we know votes are still trickling in. They're still every vote is being counted. Um, but it's pretty clear at this point that Joe Biden is going to be president and Kamala Harris is going to be vice president. It is extremely exciting and largely thanks to the incredible organizing efforts of Black women in Georgia, which is my home state. We are looking at two runoff races that could decide the balance of power in the Senate. So there's a lot of work that is still ahead. Yeah, I mean, it's been a crazy week. You know, my department voted to give me tenure this week, literally on <laughs> election day. So I had four hours of pure joy. And then the Florida returns started coming in. So that was a dark five hours. And then we started to see things happen in Arizona. It has just been up and down and sideways and the Senate races. And it's been a long week. Leave it to political science professors either to be totally on the nose or utterly oblivious. Unclear. Unclear <laughs> with that one. Um, I was extremely excited that in my sort of rage tweets on election night, AOC followed me on Twitter. That was my personal uh, balm and salve. What? I can't even night. believe that happened. That is the coolest thing. And I don't know what you did to make it happen, but that is the me coolest either. thing. <laughs> Me either. <laughs> so we know all our listeners are still processing this. And, you know, there's been a lot of sadness in terms of what happened with the Senate and all our hopes for big climate legislation in 2021. But we are calling this episode the Silver Linings Playbook. And we're doing that because, you know, we can't forget the big picture here, which is that we won the presidency, you know, that is going to allow us to do so many big things on climate change and also just stop the bleeding that has been happening under Trump. So we wanted to kick this off with some silver linings. Um, what are some things that we saw in this election that were actually pretty good news for the climate? First, Joe Biden ran on the boldest climate platform in history, and that was a winning strategy. It was. And the Biden-Harris ticket won more votes than any other in American history. Exit polls showed that climate change was a top issue for voters. It's clear. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have a climate mandate. And every woman in the squad got reelected, including climate badass AOC, and the squad got bigger. 
lots of local climate champions were elected, whether that was in state legislatures or city councils all across the country. We've got folks like Chloe Maximum in Maine and Nikhil Saval in Pennsylvania. Voters voted for clean energy when it was on the ballot. Columbus, Ohio voted to be powered by 100% clean energy by 2023. Not 2035, not 2030, three years from now. And in Nevada, voters approved a constitutional amendment. The state will be targeting 50% clean energy by 2030. Fox News, Fox News reported that 7 out of 10 American voters want more government spending on green and renewable energy. And even more than that are worried about climate change. And fossil fuel companies, you know, they poured loads of cash into key elections, local races, ballot initiatives, and they lost. Louisiana voters rejected a constitutional amendment that would have given huge tax breaks to oil companies. And all across this country, activists are winning fights to stop fossil fuel infrastructure. On election day, we stopped a big oil development in Santa Barbara. And right afterwards, an LNG port in Texas got stopped. Come January, we will get to start rolling back the Trump administration's heaps of anti-environment rule changes. And that means that the Trump administration will be over. They will not be able to screw our planet and our health anymore. It's actually a lot of good news. I think we should dig into what this moment means, Leah. Let's do it. This is a matter of degrees. I'm Dr. Leah Stokes. And I'm Dr. Katherine Wilkinson. And together, we're telling stories for the climate curious. In this post-election episode, we'll take up the meaning of the 2020 election results. What is the path forward on climate action? And what are some of the bright spots that we should be sure not to overlook? There's still a lot of good news when it comes to climate action. And so Catherine and I wanted to start out with some of the bright spots that have just happened. We were joined by two heavy hitters this week, Heather McTiertoni and Sam Ricketts. We honestly couldn't ask for two better people to help us understand the state of climate politics in the wake of the election. Heather is the senior director at Moms Clean Air Force. She's a former regional administrator for the Environmental Protection Agency. And she was the first African-American, first woman, and youngest person ever elected mayor of Greenville, Mississippi. She knows the ins and outs of what a Biden administration could do to pursue a just climate agenda. Heather's also a triathlete, a cornbread perfectionist, and she has an awesome essay in All We Can Save, which is called Collards Are Just As Good As Kale. You know, I've got to make a little bit more space in my garden for some collards. And maybe if I do that, I'll call that the Heather Patch. Those are Heather's collars over there. I love it. And you might remember Sam Ricketts from our episode on clean energy. He is a senior fellow for energy and environment at the Center for American Progress. And he was climate director for Washington Governor Jay Inslee's presidential campaign. He co-founded Evergreen, an organization at the forefront of developing detailed progressive climate policies. And when he's not on his best behavior, as he will be on our show today, he's one of the few people I know who can outswear me and talk even faster than I can. And we started our conversation with that all-important question. What did you stress eat 
on election night. Sam, let's start with you. Um, I think I went through a bunch of potato chips this week. That's because that was the thing that I found. It was salty and it was savory. Um, and once I started eating them, I, don't, I didn't really stop. <laughs> it's an it's American, American classic. classic. I love it. Election week. <laughs> Heather, what did you stress eat on election night? Oh, I thought you were going to say stress drink. Uh. <laughs> well, all, also an acceptable answer. <laughs> so election night, seriously, I went um, I went to my local Kroger. I got three pounds of snow crab legs. My, my parents are originally from Baltimore, Maryland, and I was so fiending, just Old Bay seasoning, <laughs> the spirit of my grandmother, and my mother and I sat there and went through, I know, at least two pounds by myself, <laughs> um, along with the new 19 Crimes by LaJuan from Snoop Dogg. That, that was my go to. I night. love this. I love this. <laughs> this also feels like sort of good ritual vibe uh, in addition to good food. Uh, yes. <laughs> stress outlet. I felt it. It's like bringing in the good omens here. Yeah. Exactly. Totally. While I, in, in the midst of my prayer time. I mean, I had all of it going on at the same time. I was operating in a spirit of faith, food, and family. <laughs> That's good. I love it. Genius. Well, obviously, uh, you know, the election went really great in some ways. And, you know, there's some things we're maybe not as happy about. And so we want to start today's conversations with executive action. That feels like it's kind of the top of a lot of people's mind right now on climate. And I know this is something that you both know a lot about. So we want to talk about what are the laws that we have on the books that can help us make progress on climate change, you know, not in 2025, but in 2021. So Heather, I know you worked at the EPA. So tell us, what do you think we can start doing when hopefully Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are running the executive branch? Well, I think the first thing on everybody's mind is what happened on November 4th, which was the United States officially coming out of the Paris uh, Climate Accord. And, you know, it's been top of mind for the uh, enviros for quite some time because we knew that this was a process that was started under the Trump administration, but it wouldn't quite be official until the day after the election. Just that's how time worked in terms of the, the number of days needed to officially pull out and to see the United States take that official action on the day after an unsettled election was unsettling, to say the least. Uh, I think on day one, minute one, we'll see a Biden administration recommit themselves to that agreement and begin the process to realign the United States in a position of leadership, not just coming back for status quo of where we were, but really working to position us to be a leader in climate action and taking approaches and steps to um, coordinate with other world leaders of just what the new what what the new benchmark should be and how we can get to that quickly. So I'm I'm anticipating and really looking forward to us immediately saying, hey, we're all in. Our mayors, our governors have always been all in. This is what our community wants. And this is our priority. Yeah, that's a great place to start. I feel like the Paris Agreement has been such a stain, really, that's been playing out under the Trump administration. And it'll be so reassuring to have that fixed on really day one by the Biden administration. Sam, what about you? What's top of mind for you on the executive action? 
top of mind for me is what a historic week this is. I mean, just in the first instance, it's, it, it's worth pausing, reflecting on the fact that, you know, what just occurred, um, first, first of all, and, and what ended up being a very resounding victory for Vice President Biden and Senator Harris. Um, more Americans cast the vote for that ticket than have ever cast a vote for a presidential ticket in any history before. You've got the first woman elected vice president. You've got first woman of color elected to the White House. You've got the defeat of Donald Trump and the intentional ignorance and scientific denial and inhumanity that he's been that he's been operating under in the White House for the last four years, which includes a, a rejection of his you know the hundred hundred and twenty five environmental rollbacks he's been he's been effectuating over the course of the last four years. That's crucial. The other the other just part of the, what I think is historic is is that Joe Biden Kamala Harris ran and won with a mandate to act on climate. This was a central part of their agenda. They campaigned on the Build Back Better plan that was the most comprehensive and ambitious climate platform ever put forward. They used climate as a closing message in their victory. They ran climate ads in swing states like Arizona and Michigan that they're going to be winning. Votes are still being counted in a couple places, but they're going to win. That, that's historic, and they're going to get a chance to take office with that mandate. I think Heather's totally right in, you know, first things first, we need to rejoin the global community. This is a global effort to confront this crisis and getting back into the Paris Climate Agreement is something that President-elect Biden has already mentioned doing uh, on Twitter in the last couple of days, even before the race is called. Um, from there, you know, I, I think we always knew that beginning in 2021 with a new presidency, as soon as we can get Donald Trump out of that White House, this is going to necessitate an entire of go- a whole of government approach to, to build this clean energy future, to, to really get ahead of this crisis. I think about things in sort of three different buckets right now. Number one, utilizing every tool you've got in across your agencies. That is regulations, that is use of the Clean Air Act to drive down emissions in, in, from power plants, tailpipe standards and fuel economy standards to go after uh, transitioning your vehicle fleets. That's use of NEPA to build better climate evaluation and also equity into your environmental review processes. That's use of financial regulation to squeeze carbon and fossil fuel investment out of the economy. That's every tool in the toolbox. And every agency is a climate agency now. And you can do a lot. You can do a whole hell of a lot with that. Number, number two. Sam, uh, yeah, please. Sam, just quickly for our listeners who won't know what NEPA is, could you just break that down real quick? Um, this is the second time in two days that someone, that's a really good point. Thank you. The, NEPA <laughs> being the National Environmental Policy Act, uh, sort of the landmark law that governs how infrastructure projects are permitted throughout the country. One of the first major environmental laws passed in the federal government in 1970. It should be a household name and maybe it will become Without, a household name in 2021. With, with this podcast, it'll, we'll, it will be. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the second bucket is just around mobilizing investments. You know, the federal government, first of all, has a, you know, spends half a trillion dollars a year in procurement and investments itself. Uh, and it also has a suite of finance authorities that can really, that you can get dollars on the street and continuing to build the clean energy economy. Two, you've got to work with Congress and Congress has got to work with the White House in reinvesting in economic recovery. We still have millions out of work. We're still in the middle of this economic crisis because of the pandemic and the Trump White House's utter failure to deal with it. So that's got to that's going to necessitate action from the legislative and executive branches next year. And that has an opportunity for climate investment. And then finally, and, and Heather touched on this the partnership with state and local actors who over the last four years in particular, but even over the last decade, have really become drivers in their own right of of building this clean energy economy and a very intentional partnership at getting down to the local community level with all government actors driving this thing down with a place-based strategy is, I think, a really exciting opportunity that states and locals who have been driving this ball forward, who have said we are still in the Paris Climate Agreement, who have continued to make progress, 
are finally going to have a great partner now in the, in the federal administration. And, and that's a partnership that can, that can drive a lot of benefit. Yeah, I, I totally agree with your approach there, Sam. I think these standards under existing law, you know, that's something we can do. And I know Heather has actually worked at the EPA. So, Heather, what you, what's your thinking in terms of what the EPA specifically can be doing under a Biden-Harris administration? Well, I think, you know, we've got a lot of work to do both inside and outside of EPA. Uh, as, as Sam alluded to, that's not the only agency that should be focused in talking about climate action. We really have to look at, and I think the Biden administration is doing this, um, what is the holistic approach? How are we really intertwining climate conversation activity um, creating it as a foundation throughout all of our agencies. And, and EPA certainly is a linchpin there. Um, but there's a lot of work to do. You know, unfortunately, the agency over the past four years has been decimated through the loss of the integrity of science in the way that this administration, uh, this past administration has not valued the science, the institutional knowledge of the people in that agency. I can tell you from working in the Southeast uh, region of EPA, those are some of the most brilliant men and women that I have ever met and have been so dedicated to working on climate issues, bar none, just bar none. Um, to see their work and their science be completely torn apart and discounted by this administration is hurtful. And, you know, I think one of the things we've got to do is get in there and show, hey, we understand and value not only expertise, but that that this has been years and that we know um, climate is not an overnight issue. It's not something that we just say, okay, we can flip a switch and we have corrected the problem. No, this has been years of scientific research study, and we have to continue to support that. So all of that being said, uh, I think, you know, even building upon what Sam just outlined in terms of the three buckets um, for agencies and for us outside of agencies, this will be a combination of us working together as a team, supporting EPA, um, supporting the science, the integrity of the organization, but the integrity and intersections of climate with every single agency within the federal government. I, I don't think we should put all the onus onto just one agency. I, I couldn't agree more. And this actually takes us really perfectly, Heather, to the second thing we wanted to ask you all about. As Elizabeth Warren loves to say, personnel is policy. And we will not ask you to name names, but we would love to hear what kinds of people you would love to see getting appointments in this administration, whether that's running the Environmental Protection Agency, the Department of Energy, all of these key agencies, Heather, that you're referencing that touch some piece of the climate puzzle. And how do you think Biden's approach on appointments might be different. Um, and maybe we should just pivot right back to you, Heather, um, since you're you're kind of on a roll. Well, I, I know we're not using certain words and then try my best, Leah, to, to behave like you and Sam are doing right now. Um, <laughs> but in, 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 you know, where I come from, you know, there's a value to PhDs and BAs and everything, but there's also called this GSD. And it's a get you fill in the blank done degree. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, 
You uh, can have a PhD and a GSD. And you a GSD. Hey, you can have both of them. <laughs> and I think that this administration, I, I certainly believe that Joe Biden's got that GSD. And I think that Senator Harris <laughs> had that GSD. And I think that um, the folks they're going to be looking for, they're going to be looking for people do, that have those degrees. Um, and, you know, it just means, hey, we need people who can get stuff done that can get the actions and can um, not only look very effectively and efficiently at what we need to have done quickly to repair, but also to put us in a position that's moving us forward. So I fully expect that um, the administration is looking for folks that, you know, they have a track record of getting things done that uh, can build bridges and can mend fences and can work in a bipartisan way because that's going to be critically important uh, and that understand the value of both long-term and short-term planning. So I think this is going to be uh, paramount in the decisions that they make and, you know, having great team players that can work across all of these agencies. I love this. We'll be looking for people who roll up their sleeves and GSD. (laughs) And, And I think, you know, as as you're saying, Heather, working together, right? More committed to making change than being in charge would be such a refreshing shift in this administration. Sam, I'm curious, what what would be kind of on your your top list of superpowers you'd like to see in this uh, in the appointments? Well, let me just second and and greatly appreciate Heather's good point that the most important credential that anyone's going to have is this is this GSD degree. I think it's a really succinct way of saying it. I think people who are willing to roll their sleeves up and, and get the job done, people who are willing to work across agencies, the folks that I that I love working with, and especially in, in this climate space, are those who combine sort of the 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 ambition and the creativity about what what really has to happen if we're going to decarbonize by mid-century, with the sort of the know-how that makes that ambition reality. And I you know I, I sort of seek those people out. And I find them, I I try to keep them close because I think there's just a world of wisdom and being able to operate in both in both lanes, both the the how-to and also the we've always got to press harder, we've always got to go further, break down the silos, think more creatively than people have done so in the past. I'll just further also add that I, I think the Biden Harris transition team is looking at a whole suite of really great folks. Another key credential is people who've operated in the in deploying these policies and these solutions. People like, you know, former regional EPA administrators. People like uh, state and local officials across the country who have actively been building the clean energy economy uh, on the ground in communities, even while Trump and science denial prevailed in Washington, D.C., is another key thing to keep in mind. And I I think and hope they they are. I think that we should expect this administration to look like the American public, to look like our country. We should expect to see people that come from diverse backgrounds, from diverse regions, but also that are not put in stereotypical spaces, right? There are Black and brown people who do finance and banking. Um, there, there are Indigenous people who talk about air. And, and there are people of so many varied backgrounds that I think this administration is going to do a really good job of um of showcasing 
America's talent, but also our diversity and our ability to very to work seamlessly together uh, across both sides of the aisle. So I'm really looking forward to seeing just the fabric of our country reflected in the administration. Heather, you just took the words right out of my mouth because I was going to say the exact same thing. I'm really excited to see more diversity in the Biden-Harris administration. And I want to give a shout out to Amy Barnes, uh, who is a native Hawaiian who has been doing a lot of work, actually, to try to come up with lists of women who can serve in these roles. Because definitely in the space that I work in, energy and electricity, you know, so often you can just find yourself surrounded by literally just white men talking about these issues. And I think it's so important to have diversity, um, both on racial lines and gender lines, income, regional lines. You know, we have to have the full suite of people working on these things. And I deeply believe that that is going to be the Biden-Harris approach, which is super exciting. And so now we're going to turn to maybe the less fabulous topic, or maybe really exciting, which is legislation, this thing called Congress. You know, we've got to be realistic a little bit here. We're doing the Silver Linings playbook, but we don't know what's going to happen in the Senate. And it's not looking mm, super good. So right now, for those of you who are paying attention, there are still three Senate races that are too close to call. Um, Two in Georgia that are going to go to a runoff in the new year and one in Alaska that we're probably not going to hear about until this week when this show is actually airing. So... We need two more seats for the Democrats to gain control of the chamber. And let's say we don't get that. Let's say we're dealing with a world where Mitch McConnell is still in charge. Sam, I know you have thought a lot about this. What can we do? We began a conversation talking about all the things that can get done right off the bat, for, for which you need Congress minimally. Having the presidency back in the hands of light rather than darkness is really, really crucial. It's, it's the first step. So let's, let's celebrate that. Two, you're very right that having... Mitch McConnell control the United States Senate is a clear and certain barrier to progress on the things we care about in confronting this climate crisis and building a more just and equitable clean energy future. There's still an opportunity to ensure Mitch McConnell is not in control of the United States Senate. Number one, there's still count and balance in Alaska, which is worth keeping an eye on. Number two, there'll be two runoffs elections on January 5th in Georgia. Catherine, I know you're from Georgia. Uh, and, all- and Sam. January 5th is my birthday. What? And January so 5th would, is your birthday. You're, what I would really like are two Democratic senators. Wow. So 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 everyone everyone here, everyone listening to this, we're all planning to have a huge birthday party for Catherine <laughs> in Georgia on January 5th. I have a I have a sister that lives in Atlanta. I'm I'm announcing here. I haven't talked about this yet, but I'm I'm visiting her on January fifth. To, to, so like seriously, we should all get engaged in this race. The reward is so great in having control of the United States Senate in Democratic hands, and the risk is very low. Well, you know, just stay safe rather in in pandemic terms. Um, but the but we've all got to get engaged in this race. And if you can't make it there, send resources. If you can't send resources, make phone calls or just get engaged. This is a crucial election that we've got to turn out for. And there's an opportunity to win two seats for crying out loud on Catherine's worth. <laughs> so with that with that said, we've got to move legislation. There are things that have to be legislated. There will be clear and present opportunities to move the ball forward. Naturally, it will need to be a, a more bipartisan hue if the chambers are split between parties. Number one. We've got to rescue this economy. Trump and McConnell to date have refused to do so, to advance investments that are sorely needed to keep working people in their homes, to reinvest in the healthcare system amid this pandemic, to ensure people are able to 
claim unemployment benefits to to provide relief to states that are, whose budgets are hurting so so badly because of losses of revenues and to reinvest in building the economy for a, build back better the economy for a sustained economic recovery into that legislative discussion we must insert climate solutions clean energy investments sustainable infrastructure investments investments in pollution free communities etc uh, number two, there is the opportunity to advance perhaps infrastructure legislation, which is traditionally enjoyed bipartisan support. There's the need to reauthorize uh, transportation programs, the need to reauthorize uh, water resource development programs that could present an opportunity to advance the ball on solutions. And of course, there's appropriations. There's the need to fund the federal government every year uh, and the need to reinvest in, in programs that can continue to support clean energy innovation and deployment, uh, can continue to support environmental justice. There are tools to advance here. And the last part I'll say is, uh, for the Republican senators listening to this, this is their opportunity to show that they care more about their constituents and economic recovery and the climate and their constituents' health than they care about fealty to Mitch McConnell. So that's Ron Johnson in Wisconsin. That's Rob Portman in Ohio, right? That's Pat Toomey in Pennsylvania. That's that's all 50 Republican senators. This is your chance to you know, Susan Collins, Mitt Romney, Lucy Murkowski. You can name them all. Um, this is their chance to show that they care about solutions, not just obstruction, because I fear Mitch McConnell's take will be exactly what it was in 2009 when he was more interested in, in harming the Obama presidency than he was in getting anything done. Let's see who follows in this time. So I, I'm going to echo and cheerlead on with Sam here to say shout out to my Spellman sister, my SGA president, Stacey Abrams. Uh, I'm a Woo! proud Spellman alum. Um, Stacy was my SGA president when I was a freshman at Spelman College, and she is just as big of a star today as she was when she was walking around Spelman College campus. So my dollars have already been sent to Georgia, and they have more of my <laughs> dollars coming. Uh, and I'm like you, Sam. You know, it is it is pack up. The Spelman Women Lead Coalition have been in forced to support everything that our sister is doing. And Catherine, I hope for your birthday, we are able to stand there in our blue and white and say, yes, we have made it happen because we know for a fact, without a shadow of a doubt, that the woman to do the job is on the ground. Um, that's my Georgia push. Yes, it's gonna, we're going to make it happen. I think that we've got to keep in mind priorities and timeframes. Sam's right. There's a lot we can do within the first two years. Let's not forget 2022 is it's right around the corner, folks. There's some more Senate races that are coming up. And this is about accountability. This is why I love Moms Clean Air Force, because these are fierce, fierce women who are armed with the facts and are unafraid to go on the Hill as well as in their own district and talk to their members of Congress, talk to their senators and demand action now. That type of engagement is going to be critical um, moving forward. So I know for a fact that there are going to be moms that after this election is called at the beginning of January, they're going to be in those Senate offices and they're going to be asking, you know, why are we not passing legislation? What is happening? And, and Sam's right, bringing it back to the local level. And then the last thing I'd say is we we know there's going to be or there should be some type of COVID response that takes place. There's got to be some legislation that uh, talks about economic recovery and coronavirus and how our country needs to heal and repair. And guess what? Climate action is a part of that. Um, Jobs, sustainability, infrastructure, resiliency, building in communities is a part of the economic response to COVID. So, you know, there are a ton of ways that we can make sure to interject climate 
repair conversation, foundational elements uh, of legislation that should be passing through and at the same time keeping pressure from those grassroots organizations that have been so important thus far while getting the job done. I think it's a, a again, it's a holistic three 360 all hands on deck approach. Um, I'm looking at even if this is a Senate makeup that has Mitch McConnell uh, still in the leadership position, there are still opportunities to put the pressure on from the people and the constituents. And that's what's got to happen. I love that that is where you took us, Heather, and you mentioned moms on Capitol Hill asking the hard questions. Um, Because as we looked at in our second episode, a big part of the reason that we've gotten to this point is activism. It's organizing. It's keeping the pressure on. And as we look towards a Biden administration with or without a Democratic majority in the Senate, I want to talk a little bit about what we need from the climate movement. Um, And Heather, you've shared a little bit, but I'm, I'm curious if there's anything you want to add about just the the way that you would like to see the movement showing up to continue this forward momentum that's been really incredibly built up over the last two years. So I think the climate movement over the past year has come to the realization that racial equity and environmental injustices cannot be separated from the conversation. And that's important because the unfortunate events of 2020, you know, coronavirus, but also the deaths of Ahmaud Aubrey, you know, George Floyd, the, the I Can't Breathe movement took on a whole nother image of, of just really the black and brown communities inability to physically breathe from air pollution, from having the police brutality from coronavirus and the environmental movement, I think woke up and mainstream environmentalism said, okay, if we don't recognize, engage and bring everybody to the conversation, number one, we're running out of time because the international panel on climate change, IPCC, they're not giving us more time to reduce carbon emissions. It's, it's lessening. Um, so let me just throw a couple of things out here for your audience to, to try to bring this home. This year in 2020, we have seen coronavirus, we've seen racial unrest, we have seen um, uh, police brutality, but we have also seen more storms than we have seen in um, years. I mean, this year we are now up to 28 going on 29 named storms. Uh, Hurricane Ada, I think is where we are. We are now in the Greek alphabet, folks. I mean, seriously, I'm an AKA and I'm I'm thinking I'm going to have, we're going to have a hurricane named Alpha Kappa Alpha at this point because we are that far <laughs> into the Greek, Greek alphabet. But we're in the Greek alphabet in terms of named storms. And some parts of our country have been hit repeatedly. You know, the Lake Charles, Louisiana area, the, the Houston area, the Gulf of Mexico, um, that industry has been completely decimated this year alone. And then there are wildfires out West. And then, you know, we had a derecho in the Midwest. Um, All of these things that are happening at the same time within the environmental movement, we have woken up and taken note that everybody's being affected. And we finally have an opportunity to come together put away some of the the issues we've had in the past. And and don't get me wrong, there have certainly been problems between environmental justice groups and mainstream 
environmental groups in terms of really building trust and identifying what is the key issue. But this year, this year has definitely put us on a place and a playing field where we're saying we know working together works. And we have seen that raising these issues in black and brown communities has brought climate voters out. And we're learning how to talk about it in ways that are cohesive and are culturally creating culturally competent solutions. I love it. And I hope that it continues and that people continue to make space at the table for everyone. Yeah. Sam, what's what's your take, especially, you know, knowing that part of the reason we are where we are with the Biden-Harris climate plan um, is because the pressure was sustained, um, right? There's been kind of a, a learning curve and a, a, a raising the bar on goals. So how would you like to see the movement continue to push the administration, push our legislators? What would you hope for? First of all, I, I just want to associate myself with the things that, that Heather was saying. I think the climate movement, those who are fighting for a livable planet, for a for a healthy present, for a better and more just economy, there's a congealing across a number of different factors that have come to play. And, and a movement that's circled around standards and investment and justice now that's, that's built around fundamentally fighting for climate and jobs and environmental and economic justice together. Um, and that that congealing of this movement is is incredibly powerful and it's relatively recent, but I think it's there and it's here for the long run and people staying in solidarity with that is, is top of mind. My thing, just stay engaged. The movement's just got to stay engaged in the legislative fights, in the electoral fights that are to come up in January 5th in Georgia, um, just as a reminder, <laughs> you know, in what your officials are doing. I mean, the the thing that we've come to understand is climate affects everything. Pollution affects everything. Uh, it's affecting our health. It's affecting our economy. There's a chance to build a better future, and that's going to require action at all levels of government. There's been this incredible movement for the Green New Deal, for greater environmental justice. Like, there has been such activism that's come on the scene, especially in the last couple of years. And it is, Catherine, to your point, utterly transformed where we are now. It's just got to sustain itself. I know the the leaders of these movements are, are, are planning for that. I have been planning for that, no matter who gets elected and when they get elected. But that's that's the ballgame, is staying engaged and staying engaged at every level of government. You know, know who you're representative is, know who your senator is, know who your your state representative is, know who your state senator is, know who your city council person is. And when you see them on the street or in that town hall meeting you're going to, ask them what the heck they're doing on climate. Ask them what they're doing with concentrations of cumulative impacts of pollution in, in disadvantaged communities. Ask them, ask them what they're doing to fight for good union jobs building this clean energy economy. Just keep pushing. Yeah. And I, I'm personally super excited about the role that the administration can play, the kinds of folks that we talked about, you know, maybe being appointees to help move this newly expansive, amplified climate narrative forward, right? This is the story about justice and jobs and a livable future. And the climate movement has taken such a damn long time to get to that compelling public narrative and I'm just really excited to see that spread and grow in 2021 and beyond, just helping to to bring people in, welcome them in and have the biggest, strongest team possible. And it's, it's great, Catherine, to see the people who are coming to this space and in this work who have been environmentalists and didn't know it. 
Like, I love seeing that. I love seeing young people, old people, um, you know, church mothers who didn't realize that the work that they've been doing to protect their local church from being overrun by a landfill down the street, they're realizing, oh, that's environmental work. That's environmental. That's correcting environmental justice. And they're realizing that some of the things they've been doing their entire lives are now in this in this realm and space. So the table is huge. Some people are just realizing that they're here and I love it. And I think you're right. This is going to be expanding constantly because both Senator Harris and uh, Vice President Biden have always been doing this. This is nothing new. They've been saying and talking about these issues, um, not just on the campaign, but throughout both of their careers. So I think it's important to recognize that we're reshaping and reframing even what climate and environmental work is. And that's important. I didn't actually know that story, Heather. I think I must have heard you on an interview or, or read something recently where you talked about Lisa Jackson uh, <laughs> saying, you know, Heather, you've you have been doing environmental justice work for a long time. Right. Being like, wait, what? <laughs> right. <laughs> she was standing in my city and she's like, we were standing there. Uh, I think there's a picture of it, too. We were standing and she sort of like looks at me to the side. She's like, you know, this is environmental justice work, right? I'm like, what? No. She's like, no, seriously, that's what you're doing. <laughs> And she was absolutely right. You know, I, I was working on issues around water quality in my community, a community that was uh, historically not only African-American and by census data impoverished, but that had not taken the necessary steps to protect infrastructure throughout the community. And that's a classic environmental injustice. Um, and I saw it as economic development for a community, opportunities for infrastructure redevelopment. But Lisa was one of those folks who connected the dots. And it just completely changed how I saw this work. But I think not just for me, for tons of people all over this country that realize, you know, this is not just about polar bears and people hugging trees. This is a movement that connects people to space and to nature and to our very existence here. So it is a matter of my kids, I have a four-year-old and a 14-year-old, um, where and how they breathe and live and the different career paths they have. I mean, environmental work is so much broader than I think what we've said it is, but I love every moment of it. It is just fascinating and innovative. And I'm going to stop now because I can go on and on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to do a lightning round now. So Sam and Heather, get your buzzers ready. Get on your toes here. Okay. <laughs> We can call this thinking on your feet. That's what my fifth grade teacher used to call it. Okay, so we're going to do MVPs, most valuable players on a bunch of different stuff, okay? So starting at the top, Sam, with you, MVP for best state in the Electoral College in 2020. Georgia. Heather. I'm going to go with Michigan. Ooh, Michigan, good pick. I, and shout out to Tommy Walker. Look it up. Detroit versus everybody. That's I'm, that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> all right. Okay. Next one. MVP. Most important climate law in 2021. This is existing legislation. Heather, you're first. Clean Air Act. Oh, easy. <laughs> <laughs> Sam? Clean Air Act. Oh, I know. It is the MVP. What else is that? <laughs> 
you know, Clean Air Act is is sort of the linchpin of environmental legislation um, law. It not only has um, our has so much been poured into this, the attacks that have come on the Clean Air Act over this administration, um, and I think the way this ways that it's been misinterpreted um, is it's very crucial for us to address it moving forward, but in a way that both acknowledges the environmental injustices, the way that things like recalculating mercury and air toxic standards, recalculating um, the actual science goes into harming people who live in communities. I think that there's a lot of work we can do there. Um, But also, you know, states that have used the Clean Air Act as a way to look at how they can address pollution in their own communities and how they can address standards in their own communities. It's important. It's sort of a foundational element. It's the... um, it's the roux for your gumbo. It's the base. <laughs> there you right? go. And we've got to make sure that we are doing everything to make sure that that is a solid base. Nobody wants gumbo with a bad roux. Just, <laughs> so the Clean Air Act just runny is just the roux. Just, there we go. Right? <laughs> okay. And this administration has definitely given us like a watery base <laughs> box gumbo <laughs> roux for a Clean Air Act. So we got to fix that. <laughs> Well, that brings us to the third question in the lightning round. MVP, most important Trump rollback we can undo quickly. Sam. Uh, Targeting California's waiver for clean cars. Boom, clean cars. I agree. Heather. Oh, wow. Yeah. Seeing how there's like a hundred of them at this point. (laughs) um, I think the attack on the mercury and air toxic standards, you know, it's one that moms has matched. You know, moms, it has been... (laughs) impacts babies' brains. You know, it it amazes me that the people who are so concerned about life in Euro, and don't get me wrong, I'm a mom myself, it definitely is something that concerns me. Please don't try to poison my child before my child is born. Like, this is basics. So I'm going to go with Matt's. And in previous life, I've written actually several papers on the topic of mercury pollution, so I'm feeling you on this one, Heather. Um, All right. MVP. Person or organization who helped us secure this climate victory in 2020? Mom's Clean Air Force, hands down. 100% a shout out to 1.2 million moms, dads, abuelas, tias, um, eco madres, all the mamas that came out. And when I tell you, listen... There's there's a lot of folks that I don't mind going up against. I, I will say I can be a little contentious at times, but one group that <laughs> I, I'm proud to be a part of, you don't mess with somebody's mama. Like, you don't. <laughs> and these women, listen, they have texts, they have called, they have put on masks, taken the kids outside, ridden, rode bikes, ran, all to get climate as a number one issue and I'll be doggone it if they didn't do it. So shout out to mom's clean air for us. Yes, I'm biased. All right. It's fine. It's <laughs> great. Moms, go moms. All right, Sam, you can you can do evergreen if you want. <laughs> no. Think about your mama, Sam. Think about your mama. <laughs> I, I just wholeheartedly second Heather's reference to the Moms Clean Air Task Force and the phenomenal work y'all are doing. I'll also throw out another in, in the Sunrise Movement. It's been inspirational to watch 
them galvanize such energy of the youth across the country around climate solutions and really pushing folks to think bigger and, and, and more ambitiously. It's been inspiring to watch. Okay, last question. What do you what's your MVP for possible climate pro climate Republican crossover? What could we get those guys to agree to? Infrastructure. I think anything in anything infrastructure every day is infrastructure. Every day, day. Is infrastructure. <laughs> every day I'm hustling. You know, that's quite frankly the theme song. Um and you know, I, I say this coming from I live in a red state. You know, I I'm a black woman who's a Democrat in Mississippi. Working across the aisle is sort of how I've had to grow up in this in this game. And if there's anything that I can tell you my Republican colleagues have responded well to, it has been economy, jobs, infrastructure. Uh, I will tell you a quick story of working alongside then-Governor Haley Barber when uh, Obama was first elected and we were working through the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act. And if you recall, uh, at the time, mayors, I was a mayor at the time, and mayors were really excited about uh, getting funding on the ground for shovel-ready projects, as they were termed. And there was a huge Republican push that said, oh, this is too much money. And they were pitting us against one another. Well, um, I'm I'm raised Southern, and I have good home training and good home manners, as my mother would like to say. Uh, So I immediately started talking to my governor about, listen, I know we're not going to agree on everything, but this is what I need. This is what I want. This is what I think could go well in our community. This works for both of us. Um, People were a little surprised when the money came out and the state of Mississippi, you know, was number one for the state getting money. And then there was my little city of Greenville, Mississippi. Like we got more money (laughs) from ARA than the capital did. (laughs) And folks called and they're like, how the heck did you make that happen? And it goes back to, again, knowing how to have conversation, relationships, bipartisan issues, and understanding what moves both sides. And for, in my experience, it's been economy. So I think that as much as we can tie infrastructure and job and COVID response to economy, we do well and make friends. All right, Sam, close us out. MVP. I, I agree. I agree. E- economic recovery. We've we've got to do it, and we can do it the right way. So, so come on, Mitt Romney. Come on, Lisa Murkowski. Let's build back better together. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Obviously, we're going to be hanging out in Georgia next month, trying to secure a Democratic control of the Senate so that we can you know, save the planet. Um, Sam's going to bring the gumbo. I'm going to bring the collard greens and cornbread. Yes. And we're going to have a bang up birthday. We're making yes, this happen. Yes, I cannot yes. wait. <laughs> Sam, Sam will be with his sister. Heather will be with her Spellman sisters. It is going to be epic. Um, I'm going to be with my climate sister, a.k.a. Catherine Wilkinson. Guys, Leah Stokes, first time in Georgia. It could be very exciting. <laughs> um and and in all great seriousness uh dear listeners if you do care about the runoffs in georgia there are two great organizations to support stacy abrams fair fight and the new georgia project look them up send them your cash and we'll put their links in our show notes heather and sam thank you so much for hanging out with us today Thank you for having us. This has been fun. Are you guys feeling better? A little more positive Ooh. about the world? Yeah. Everybody loves a silver lining. <laughs> hey. I'm fired up. I'm fired up. Now the, now the work begins. I'm fired up. There you go. Right. We'll, we, we'll sleep sometime in the next, yeah. you know, 
Yeah, monthly. So it's, it's, it's fine. It's fine. We're good. We're good. A Matter of Degrees is co-hosted by me, Leah Stokes. And by me, Catherine Wilkinson. We are a production of Postscript Audio. Jamie Kaiser, Sydney Bartone, and Stephen Lacey produced the show. Sean Marquand edited, mixed, and composed our theme song. Additional music came from Blue Dot Sessions. The show art was designed by Carl Spurzum. And our website was designed by Caroline Hadalak Sono. A special thanks to the funders and supporters who made this show possible. The Hewlett Foundation, Bloomberg Philanthropies, The 11th Hour Project, UC Santa Barbara, and others. You can subscribe on Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, or any other place you get your shows. Or go to our website, DegreesPod.com. And you can follow both of us, the pod, and our production team on Twitter. You'll find our accounts on the website and in the show notes. And, you know, your number one task this week is to figure out how you're going to help out the Senate race in Georgia. But then your number two task is if you're liking this show, share it with your friends and family. Definitely. And stay with us as we tell more stories for the climate curious.